0: Welcome to the Know Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Friends, I'm so glad to have you joining us on our podcast. It's a beautiful spring day today, and it's uh, one of the last days of the Christian Passover holiday, otherwise known as Easter. We just had our final Easter worship for this year, and um, it was also Memorial Day worship. And so we spent some time in prayer acknowledging the memories of uh, those who've served and died for our country And um, if you check out our Facebook page, you'll see a a special dedication to a man named Robert Montgomery, who served with distinction in World War II and was a member of our church. A lot of interesting history there. So uh, frustrating how much history, great history, has been lost. And um, I'm just really grateful for institutions like the church that seek to preserve the history of those who came before and sacrificed to make possible what we have today. Of course, the church always has to keep that in balance with uh, the reality that, that God doesn't need anybody to fight for him and that God's church will be just fine with or without um, the, the work done of people. We sacrifice not because God needs it, but because we need it, because uh, there are things in this life worth sacrificing for. And so, um, I I just ask that you'd be grateful with me today for the sacrifices uh, made in the past that that we have had people in the past with the good sense to know what is worth sacrificing for. Um, so, with that in mind, um, once again, this this podcast is just going to be sharing our time in the Word from this last Sunday. We had some kind of tech malfunction where the live stream did not work. I was livid. Um, You know, because we just spent, Live it is a bit dramatic. We spent a lot of time and energy and money um, trying to make this live stream thing work well for the people who can't be with us in worship, so it's very frustrating when it doesn't happen. Anyway, we're glad to be able to provide it here through the podcast, even though the video obviously is lacking. Um, The texts were from the close of Luke and the beginning of Acts, the setup to... Pentecost, which is all about the importance of the promised Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. We, we spent a good deal talking about the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does. Uh, in the psalm, it talks about how God restores us to be co-rulers with Him and how He puts others under our feet. And then in the reading from Ephesians, we focus on um, how the Holy Spirit uh, opens our eyes and ears, uh, our, our minds, so that we are Transformed from earthly creatures to, to heavenly creatures, able to, to see with heavenly sight. Um, so, the Holy Spirit is obviously very important. As always, we end with a, an exhortation to read our Bibles and to repent. Um, so, anyway, I, I know uh, week to week I don't say a whole lot new. However, I think it's probably the most important things that need to be said. So, I'm going to stop talking for now. I hope you enjoy your time meditating. On God's holy word with us and as always continue to pray for this church. Thanks. So both Luke and Acts were written by the physician Luke and they're both historical accounts. Luke is the gospel account of Jesus birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension from start to finish. And then Acts of the Apostles is the story of the church beginning with Jesus ascending into heaven. And so we're going to kind of go in a verse order today. Our first reading is going to be from Acts, where we read about Jesus ascending into heaven and uh, what transpired after that and the lead up to Pentecost. And then our final reading today is going to be the last bit of the Gospel of Luke, where the resurrected Jesus ascends up into heaven and, and talks to his disciples. So um, I think that's all the setup I need to do. Let's uh, welcome our first
1: reader forward. Good morning. Good morning. Today's first reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, which you can find on page 1527 of your pew Bibles. Let's listen to the Word of God. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which He was taken up. After that He, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the Apostles, whom he had chosen, to whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: So Acts begins with uh, an address of the audience, and he says he's writing to a person named Theophilus. This could be a real person. It could also be a stand-in for us because theophilus is two words put together theos which means god and phileo which means love so theophilus is god lover so it could be i'm writing to any god lover it it doesn't really matter it's a historical record for our edification it was written to be read by us and all the stories recorded are not just historically factually true but they also have helpful uh interpretations for us to have in our lives so Every scripture corrects us in one way or another. Uh, there there are scriptures of affirmation once we're in faithful covenant with God. But if we're not in faithful covenant with God, then every scripture convicts us. And so this scripture, even here, of this historical accounting of Jesus right before he ascends into heaven, it convicts people. By convicting, I'm, I'm talking in a legal sense, you are guilty of a crime. And so it convicts people people of of two different crimes that I can see. One is this desire to know when the day of the Lord, the second coming, uh, is going to happen, the the day of uh, the apocalypse. There are a lot of Christians that get real obsessed with knowing the times, dates, when it's going to happen. There have been all kinds of Christian cult movements that start off with the leader saying, oh, I've read the pattern in in the Bible. I know exactly when it's going to be. The disciples here asked Jesus directly, Is it time that you are going to send the kingdom, God's kingdom, to earth? Is it time that you are going to return? Let's see. Where is it? They asked him, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They're asking, will you bring God's reign, his kingdom, directly to earth? And what's his answer? You can put it in your own language. What's his answer? It's not for you to know. It is not for you to know. He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So Christians who are obsessed with knowing have their hearts and minds in the wrong place. And it's funny, they will read this scripture and not feel at all convicted, and they really should. Christians should not be obsessed with figuring out when the kingdom's going to come. Rather, we should be living daily faithful lives in case it comes today that's the faith that jesus gave us not so that we could be sinners until the last minute but so that we can live in god's grace all day every day the second group of people that this should convict is people that are not very concerned about the holy spirit and I, i know none of you are like this but the the methodist movement it started off as a very holy spirit oriented movement people very much interested in who the holy spirit is and what he's doing and and signs and wonders but nowadays most united methodists are not at all interested in talking about that. They'll talk about the Father, they'll talk about the Son, but they're not real interested in who the Holy Spirit is, what He's doing, the signs and wonders, the healings, the speaking in tongues, the fruits of the Spirit. You won't find a lot of Methodists talking about that. It's, it's weird, it's always been a thing where most movements go too far either towards the Holy Spirit and charismatic craziness or too far towards doctrine and avoiding the Holy Spirit, but the scriptures point us to a middle ground where Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity are equally sought and worshipped and beloved. We need to remember our heritage in the Holy Spirit because that was the big promise of the Father. Here it says, uh, verse 4, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me because John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's living and active. He does powerful things. He's every bit as powerful as he's ever been. The scriptures are very concerned with the historical giving and reception of the Holy Spirit. We should be too. Jesus himself told us one of the primary prayers that we should be praying for is to receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, God, who is so much better than a loving father, will surely give us what we ask for earnestly in prayer. But if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you can't rightly interpret the Scriptures. You can't rightly be in relationship with God or your fellow man. You can't rightly receive the grace of God. The Holy Spirit is the channel through which we all receive our salvation. If you do not have the Spirit, if you do not have the witness of the Holy Spirit, you do not have the experience of salvation. An experience of the Holy Spirit is what the Scripture points to, and it's what we need to be aiming for as well. So we're going to move along a little bit, but we're not done hearing about the Holy Spirit. This is, this is something we're going to hear about in, in a couple more readings today and then a lot next week at, at Pentecost worship. Psalm 47 is found on page 781 of your hymnals. So the the sung response sounds like this. Earth and Henry, repeat the cry, glory be to God on high. Let's sing that together and then we'll read. Earth and Henry, repeat the cry, glory be to God on high. Clap your hands, all ye peoples. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, who subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. has gone up with a shout. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing, praises to our Sing praises. For God is the ruler of all the earth. God reigns over the nations. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. Earth and heaven, repeat the cry. Glory be to God on high. One of the things that I always harp on when we run into it is just how often we are told that a proper response to the Lord is fear. Okay, so if you didn't catch that verse 2, for the Lord, the Most High is to be feared. And then it spends the rest of the psalm talking about how good and powerful God is. And it talks about how the nations are in his hand, and and he is the God who's in control of history. Can't help but think of a John Calvin quote, uh, when God is upset with people, he gives them wicked rulers. If you don't like that quote, get rid of it. It's not in the Bible. But I I found it a useful way to look at history. God is not always happy, and he's often punishing people, wicked people, with wicked rulers or a a wicked nation. The thing I wanted to focus on a little bit more is uh, the one who talks, uh, verse 3, it says, God subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. One of the things that people don't understand about the Bible is that, yes, we are called to acknowledge Christ as Lord. We are called to be his servants. We are called to serve. Even so, from beginning to end of the Bible, the expectation is that, that our primary first calling is to rule alongside God. That when God created uh, the creation at the very beginning, placed man and woman in the garden, the the intent was that they would govern the creation that he had made, that they would rule over it, that they would subdue and till the land. You remember that command? God gave us the command to rule in his place, in his stead. We have a God who shares power and authority. But the thing is that we screwed it up and we made ourselves unworthy to rule. But God did not let that be the end of the story. Rather, he made a path for our sanctification. He cleansed us of the sin that we were born with by what Christ did on the cross, right? That's called atonement. But then he gave us a new nature that we inherit when we receive the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever heard of the new birth? Jesus talks about how we must be born again. The way we are born is corrupt in sin. Christ's blood cleanses us of that sin, and the Holy Spirit gives us a new birth where we are made, remade in Christ's image, pure and perfect and holy. And the biblical promise is that you and I will be restored to the original image of God. We are made in the imago Dei, the image of God, and we will rule alongside him in the new creation. That he has designated us to rule alongside Jesus in the new creation. The kind of God that we have is not content to keep us as slaves and servants, rather he makes us free to serve him as free people. And when we do so, he subjects others to our authority. Now that can go in a kind of a weird, crazy direction. When Jesus was here on earth, was earth under his authority? Yeah, Jesus wasn't, they didn't know it. A lot of them didn't know it, some did, and they treated him as the king that he was. When Jesus came to earth though, even though he was Lord of the earth, everything was created in him and through him and for him, Did Jesus lord it over everybody? Did Jesus abuse the people under him? No, Jesus took the form of a servant, of a slave. And whenever his disciples asked, Lord, what must we do to be great in the kingdom? He said, be like a little child, be like a servant. Serve others. Don't go around like a worldly person beating your chest and talking about what you're entitled to. Go around as Jesus did, serving, caring for, loving others. That's what it means to rule and reign alongside God here and now. Do we want to do what we are created to do? And the answer is, yeah, we are miserable unless we're do what, we created, what we're created to do. If, I remember when Sarah Beth and I had uh, dogs, different dog breeds have things that they're made to do. If you have a, a border collie, those dogs are natural herders. You you will have one that's never been trained, you'll put them around sheep, and they will naturally start moving those sheep around. It's incredible how strong nature is. But when you coop up a border collie in a little apartment and they don't get to walk or run or exercise, they are miserable creatures. And that's what humans are like whenever we're doing anything other than living for God. We are miserable creatures. You notice that everybody in our culture is miserable? You notice that? Or am I taking crazy pills? No, everybody's basically okay. We just have school shootings every now and again. Friends, that's a symptom of a very sick culture, okay? We have symptoms all around us of how miserable our culture is, and it's because we're trying to live our lives for ourselves. We're living our lives for our own wealth and comfort and friendships. We're living as though we're never going to die. We're living as though there is not a God who stands in judgment over us. It's the most miserable culture the world has ever seen. And that's why, despite our huge material wealth, we have skyrocketing rates of anxiety and depression throughout our culture, especially with the young, whose hormones are all pumping. They have so much going for them to help them not be depressed and anxious, and yet they're living lives that are foreign to them. We humans were made to worship and praise God, to live for Him, and when we're not doing that, we are a most miserable people. God through his Holy Spirit, makes us worthy to rule alongside him, and he makes us able to take joy in ruling as his son Jesus has ruled. That's what this psalm is pointing to. Let's go on to our next reading. Ephesians is going to talk more about the power of the Holy Spirit and the function and why we should be praying for him. So I'd welcome Joe to come read to us. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Today's third reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, which you can find on page 1647 of your Pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. This is the word of God. Thanks Thanks be to God.
0: Another hobby horse of mine that we're not going to spend a lot of time on but I need to reinforce is in verses 22 and 23, it says that uh, God hath put all things under Jesus' feet. Okay, you remember how in the psalm it was talking about how God puts nations under our feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So it's talking about the church here. The church is throughout the New Testament, um, the purpose for which Christ died. We are his body. And remember, what does the word church mean? Assembly. Okay, so it makes no sense to talk about the you know, the the church being composed of individual people that are spread out through everywhere. It's people who have received the Holy Spirit who assemble together in in God's name, right? So we were talking in Delaware this morning. What are some specific uh, evidences that, that people have received the Holy Spirit? And the first thing they did, I was so proud of them, they said, This unnatural desire to gather together in Christ's name with Christ's family, which is full of people like us. You know, if you look around, a lot of people don't join in voluntary organizations anymore because they're full of people and people are just not great a lot of the time. And you have to compromise with them and you have to put up with them. Uh, they say and do things that are just inconvenient. However, one of the evidences that you have the Holy Spirit is if you desire to be in fellowship with other people as imperfect as you, who are going on to perfection with the Holy Spirit, working on them and sanctifying them, that's what the church is. And that's Christ has been put in authority over us. So Ephesians is written to a church, the, the gathering of... Uh, born-again Christians in Ephesus. And here he's saying, I am praying for you because I've heard of your faith, and what I'm praying for you is that God would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What spirit is that? Is is that different from the Holy Spirit or the same Holy Spirit? It's the same. There isn't but one spirit. And so he's praying that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Why? So that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. See, the notion is that we are born with human sight, sinful, fallen sight, and we see things as the world sees them. And the world sees Christians as ignorant, as poor, as silly, as impractical, especially when you're looking at Christians in places like North Korea or China or Afghanistan or Egypt or uh, uh, Somalia or or Liberia, no, not Liberia, Liberia is basically okay. What's the one I'm wanting to think of with Al-Shabaab? Well, no, the one with Nigeria, with the Fulani herdsmen. Whenever you're looking at Christians in these nations, boy, do they look stupid. Boy, do they look stupid. They're in the minority. They're largely disarmed. They're getting killed for their faith. They're not being able to care for their families. When you look at the church with human eyes, boy, do humans look stupid. You remember there was a missionary who went to that little island off of India that was off limits. He paid someone to take him there because nobody had heard the word of Jesus Christ there. And right after he got off the boat, they shot him with arrows and he died. And American media mocked him for like a week straight. Oh, this poor, ignorant, stupid boy, he thought he was going to bring them this message of salvation. Oh, doesn't he know that you need to leave cultures alone? That's how the world looks at us. They don't see noble martyrs. They see fools foolhardy, egotistical people who think they have the truth and nobody else does. When you get that spiritual sight, when God enlightens and enlivens your eyes, you can see what he's doing. You can hear his words, what you come to understand. Why are you running laps around my church? Go! No, no, no. I said my church. It's not my church. It's your church. I'm just seeing her going around here. Teach her the backwards way. She thought she was not being distracting. I shouldn't be so mean. I'm so sorry, guys. You caught me on a grouchy dad day. I repent. I'll say sorry to her after worship. So here we're talking about our eyes being opened and being given spiritual sight. That's what we were just talking about, right? God does this. But we need to have the discernment to see, when am I looking at things with my worldly eyes versus when am I looking at things with my heavenly eyes? Because we'll look at things like poverty and wealth, and we'll see wealth as a sign of prosperity and happiness, and we'll see poverty as a sign of depravity and and unhappiness. But that's not what you see when you read the Bible. Or, uh, you know, we'll see someone who's healthy and in great shape, and we'll imagine, oh, they've just got it so good, and, and that's what life is about. Well, we follow a Savior who was crucified at the age of 33 on a cross, it's not the healthiest path of life that he went on. So we, we occupy a different way of being in the world. So Paul is, is praying for them that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened and that they might know the hope of the calling. And what's that calling? Do you remember when Jesus commissioned them in that first reading today? That they would be witnesses unto him. Remember? A witness is someone who has seen something, right? And then they tell other people about it. The hope here The expectation from Jesus and the hope from Paul is that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we will become witnesses. We will have a story to tell. We will have something to say when someone asks about the hope that is within us. And and I'm not going to put anybody here on the spot, but this is not the first time I preached about it. When it comes time for you to speak about your faith, what do you have to say? Can you witness about who Christ Jesus is? Can you speak about what he has done in your life? And when you do so, will other people see someone who has been born again or will they see someone who is pretending? We need to be people who have been remade by the Holy Spirit. We need to be people who are eager to speak and witness about who Christ is. Our last reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. You can find it on page 1483 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. And Jesus said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. What's he talking about there? The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. What is that? It's the Old Testament. He's saying there's prophecies throughout the Old Testament that needed to be fulfilled. That's what's happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Verse 45, Then opened... Jesus their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures." So, it's what, what the Holy Spirit does, right? Opens our understanding, opens our eyes, opens our hearts. "...Jesus opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among the nations, beginning at Jerusalem." So that's the fulfillment of that Prophecy He made, you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria unto the uttermost part of the earth. Verse 48 And ye are witnesses of these things. So, yeah, you should be witnesses unto me. Verse 49 And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. What's that promise? The promise of the Father? He talked about it in the Acts reading too. The thing I've been talking about for 30 minutes. There it is the Holy Spirit. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye, that means take a minute, stay there, in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Endued with power from on high. That's a biblical phrase for till the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you. What day did that happen on? Pentecost. And Jesus led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God." Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So as I said in the first reading, this is not just literal, historical, factual history. This has uh, a message for us today, and I think the message is we need to be much more concerned about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit than we generally are, than we usually are. One of the things that I'm regularly ashamed about is uh, I'm aware that there are at least two books written that are historically medically verified as um, um, documentation of the Holy Spirit miraculously healing people. People with terminal conditions, people with deformities, uh, people in the Western world, the developed world, people in the undeveloped world. There are thousands of accounts of people being uh, mystically, supernaturally, healed and i have not read them isn't that weird that i haven't read them i preach about the holy spirit the power and working the signs and wonders and yet i'm content not to know the details about what the holy spirit has been doing isn't that weird most people when they talk about the holy spirit in today's church they talk about just a warm feeling they get whenever they think about jesus is that the holy spirit I mean, you might get a a warm feeling when you have the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, a lot of the time, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to feel convicted. You're going to feel ashamed. You're going to feel bad at your sin, and He is going to work repentance in you. The Holy Spirit is not always happy and warm and joyful. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is angry. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is grieved. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is disappointed. So that's why a lot of people don't seek the Holy Spirit. It's, it's an unpleasant thing whenever we're still living as those who are dead in our sins, and we have the Holy Spirit convicting us, saying, hey, I'm trying to make you holy, and here you are doing what you know you shouldn't be doing. We go, ah, you be quiet there, Holy Spirit. I'm just a man. I was born in sin. I'm going to die in sin. Is that what the good news of Jesus Christ is, that we're born in sin and we're just going to die in sin? But Jesus loves us anyway. You'll find that gospel as you go into a lot of churches today. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not the gospel you find when you open your Bibles. The gospel you find is that God sends his Holy Spirit to sanctify you and make you holy. And he did that on the day of Pentecost. He did that in the generations after Pentecost. He's doing it today. But we don't want to see it so we have denominations that uh, that don't talk about that so much. We have churches that, man, if somebody stood up and started speaking in tongues, we would go, hey, you gotta we got to get out of here. we got churches where if somebody tried to lay hands and miraculously heal somebody, some go, oh, we don't do that here. When you see it in the Bible, should it happen in God's church today? Absolutely. But it's not going to happen if our faith is defined by the culture around us rather than the culture of the Bible. And so I'm going to end worship on the same thing that I'm always, every week, focusing on is, we need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be reading our Bibles. Sarah Beth has just finished a, a, a reading plan, uh, the one year reading challenge, I forget what it's called, it's, it's hosted by a church in Moscow. Uh, I was gonna make her talk about it, but she's coughing. Um, anyway, they're gonna start on just a reading of the New Testament, daily readings of the New Testament starting on June 1st, right? So what I wanted to urge you to do is pray about picking up this daily Bible reading challenge Sarah, Beth, maybe, uh, what's next? Yeah, it'll be too late. What's the first? Is that Tuesday of this week? Wednesday. So Wednesday of this week, I'm going to try and remember to send out an email or a text message to everybody. Susanna, are you talking to your mother? So I'm going to send out an email later this, uh, tomorrow, with a link to this daily Bible reading challenge. And I want to encourage all of you, let's read, you read the whole New Testament in three months. I think it'd be wonderful if we could all do that together. So Sarah, Beth, you'll remind me tomorrow because I'll forget. I'm going to make a little note. Throw on, on the prayer thing. Okay, send out Bible reading challenge. Okay. So, read your Bibles, and then the only other thing I say every week is we need to be repenting every day. So, don't ever grow tired of repenting. You're not perfect yet. Uh, let's feel some rightful shame and sadness at our own failings and repent to the Lord and be renewed in our faith every day. Amen.